it's me, your yoga instructor, just reminding you that in order to find inner peace, you need to stand in Warrior One and queue up an episode of this podcast. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, I am very excited to announce that I am working on a new podcast and the pilot is out now if you're a member of the multi-crew. So we have the pilot out, we're taking feedback. You can be part of the creation process of a new multitude podcast. The show is called Meddling Adults. It's a whodunit podcast about trying to solve children's mysteries from the likes of Encyclopedia Brown, Nancy Drew, The Hardy Boy, Scooby-Doo, etc. I'm very excited about it and you can listen to the pilot now before anyone else on the Multicrew exclusive feed, which you can get access to by going to multicrew.club. This is the first episode of Potterless in April, meaning that it's donation time here at Potterless. Each month, we donate $1 for every member of our team over at patreon.com slash Potterless to a different charity. And at the time of recording, we have 890 patrons, meaning that we'll be donating $890 to a special charity. So I'm taking a page out of Shea Serrano's book. And for this month, I'm going to just be helping people out with bills and stuff like that. I'm going to be doing it on Twitter. So if you go to the Potterless Twitter account, it'll be all there. I'm going to round up to $1,000 and just try to help people out with bills or anything else that's making life hard right now when they're stuck at home. So I figured that would just be a nice way to help out the Potterless community. And if you want to jump in and help some people out, you can check out that thread as well. Also, I got an update from our merch store. The Montana government is allowing them to have basically a skeleton crew at the merch store. So they are still filling out orders. It's just taking a long time. So you still can get merch over at bit.ly slash merch on, but I'm also going to be looking into doing some digital merch options if you wanted to get some stuff and you don't have to worry about shipping because you just download it. So stay tuned for that. I'm going to start working on it with things like wallpapers and ringtones and text tones and a bunch of fun little digital potterless things that you can get. And speaking of fun things, we have new patrons to welcome to the team. So shout out to Amy Bobo, Heinrich Wolf, Feronia Trong, Beth Mellon, Mandy Shute, Sarah W., Michelle Spurgeon, Stephen McEwen, Elise Chui, Mitch O'Shea, Elizabeth Grindheim Svestad, Sophie Reed, Greta Eleonora, Serial Players, Casey Tunnel, Caitlin, Kate Grandines, Megan Lopez, Ella Gangle, Adriana Jarrett, Nicole Somerville, Grace Cudahy, Matisse Mazariu, Evan Steigert, Stephanie Lennox, Lindsay Vanderbirch, Antonia, Jordan Thompson, Katie Kari, and the return of Manuela Tapia Tierman. A name correction for Min Kedra. Bryson, Ilaria Vicentin, Sarah Murray, Richard Johnson, and Zoe Cloans. Shout out to Zoe Cloans and Caitlin for upgrading their pledge. And a huge shout out to Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, and Andrin Kaufman, who upgraded to the producer level status, as well as our new producer level patrons, K.A. Rob, Anna Bourgeli, and the return of Steve Trelore. They joined the ranks of Vicky, Aaron, Clow, Marchismo, Samantha, Juan, Rose, Marie, Maria, Romina, Audra, Eleanor, Nikita, Ali, Amelia, Sarah, Ben, Rachel, Zachary, Orchid, Vivian, Haley, Moster, Alex, John, Noel, Liz, Brandon, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Friday, Ivor, Summer, Andrea, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Mark, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Noelia, Addie, Nikki, Kine, Amanda, Alicia, Kafir, Sarah, Marta, Eileen, Keegan, Mr. Folk, Maya, Floor, Siri, Georgia, Skyla, Adele, Professor, Threat, Ellie, Elizabeth, Michael, Tiffany, Kelly, Carrie, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Samantha, Aurora, Marcus, Courtney, Marie, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, Julie, The Meadows Family, Ginny, Brianna, McKenna, Heather, Brad, Thomas, Brianna, Kevin, Lori, Chrissy, Jarl, Haley, Ashley, Peter, Sophie, Jenna, Nicole, Callahan, Kylo, Leah, Melissa, Bella, Melanie, Bill, Victoria, Elizabeth, Britt, Becca, Reese, Adam, Joseph, Lily's mom, T Run, Madison, Kyle, Tonks, GK, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, David, Maria, Matt, Okamahime, Yimki, Boney Pony, Jacob, Kelsey, Taco, Blowfish, Rike, Taylor, Rochelle, Megan, Alicia, Riley, Colleen, Stin, Laurel, Rossanne, Erica, Miranda, Landon, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Richard, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Who never forget to pause the movie on their laptop before disconnecting their Bluetooth headphones when they were watching it while their wife is sleeping next to them in bed, waking her up in the middle of the night. It was very rude of me. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus episodes, exclusive live streams, director's commentary, my notes, exclusive merch, and more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash 
Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 120 of Potterless, covering deleted scenes from movies 7 and 8, guest starring Emily McGovern of My Life as a Background Slytherin. And welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a grown man who didn't read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult, and now he's doing stuff beyond the books. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm that grown man, and I'm here joined today by the hand, the brain, the pen <laughs> behind uh, Emily's cartoons. My life is a background Slytherin, bloodlust and bonnets, a whole bunch more. It's Emily McGovern. Emily, how's it going? Hi, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm all still things here, considered. Still uh, isolated, Smart. Uh, not hospitalized. Doing all right. Good. That's good. I'm glad to hear yeah. it. Staying safe, <laughs> washing your hands, etc. Exactly. Not leaving the house. Oh, yes. Kelly and I literally only leave the apartment to go grocery shopping. And even when we go grocery shopping, we are as safe as we can be. There was a time we were going to go to Trader Joe's a couple of days ago, but the line was outside the door. So we instead pivoted to a more expensive grocery store that was less populated <laughs> because our peace of mind was worth the extra 10% in grocery costs we were going to incur by going to this fancier place. My friend Jamie, shout out Jamie, you're listening. He told me that it, like there's basically nothing in London available. All the shops are empty all the time. Oh. And he said that the only like batch of toilet paper available was for like seven pounds ninety nine. Oh. And he was saying at that point I may as well be like wiping my ass with a fiver, so I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, absolute worst case, you just hop in the shower really quickly and wipe it all off there. There we go. The one thing that we've been really struggling to get are Lysol wipes. Kelly and I actually got a head start to all of the quarantine stuff because we were on our honeymoon internationally and her company to be safe. They were very ahead of the curve, which is nice. They said, hey, just work from home for the next two weeks. This is before everything was getting shut down, just to be safe. So that was March 9th. We made a grocery run to prepare for that. And when we went to the grocery store, everything was pretty normal. And we saw a whole <laughs> row of Lysol wipes and disinfectant spray and everything. And we figured, oh, okay, things aren't super ridiculous right now. We'll be all right. So we just got a normal human amount, two tubs. Oh, halcyon days. Remember. And then, of course, now we can't find them anywhere. They can't be found in the entire city of New York. And the only other time that we did see them was in a bodega and we popped in and asked how much they cost and they were charging $20 for them. What? $20. Oh my gosh. It was ridiculous. Well, I was chatting to my friend who's been on maternity leave since August last year. Okay. Obviously she's at home all day and I'm at home all day because that's where I work. Right. And we were saying it's kind of nice that the rest of the world is catching on to like the sort of exotic possibilities of the supermarket <laughs> and how exciting it is to just go out on your daily trip to the supermarket because that's basically our, our everyday life. Yeah. And I'm glad that everyone else is catching up to how fun it is to just walk into a <laughs> shop that has everything you could possibly want and just pick whatever you like and take it home with you. It's, yeah, it's great. Ever since I went full-time podcasting, the biggest upgrade in my life, aside from getting to do what I love on a daily basis, is that I was able to do things on off-peak hours and at weird times. Yeah. Like I could go to the gym at two in the afternoon. I could go mm -hmm. grocery shopping at 3.30. Yeah, I could do good. all of these things before there were big rushes. And now there just is no off-peak. Everything yeah, is yeah, on yeah. peak. But uh, I'm glad that everyone's getting a taste of the working from home life because um, I do have like, I'm in here all day, guys. I I'm just, I'm in, I'm in here all day. This is what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> 
know, some things are nice, yeah, but also I am just in here all day. <laughs> well, enough talk of sadness. Let's instead <laughs> focus on some happier things, such as things that were filmed for Harry Potter movies but deemed not good enough to be included in the actual films. <laughs> so let's start with the deleted scenes from movie seven. Let's go. The first one is Arthur explaining radios and radio usage to Ron, saying that he's making a bunch for the order. I think this is really nice. I think it's a bit of an extra thing that isn't really touched upon in the books, but I thought it was cool. I liked it. It was quick. I like Arthur. Do they end up using them? Is it a Chekhov's radio or does it is it not important <laughs> i mean they in the books at least you only ever see ron using them and then he reveals that he knows how to deal with the radio and fix it and stuff because of arthur oh, yeah no okay that's that's a good point then that's that's you know that makes sense right why else would ron know how to work a radio uh-huh. although they do have wisdom radios don't they ah, never mind I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah i guess they do because the celestina warbeck they listen yeah. to it at some point so yeah yeah i don't know i just think this is a nice little scene and it's quick but is, alas yeah. Movie's got to get rid of it. Yeah. The next scene is a the Petunia being sad scene, which I thought was in the movie. And this is where I'm not sure if I saw an extended edition of mm. the seventh. But it's the scene where she's like, oh, you didn't just lose a mother. I lost a sister. Where they like try to give Petunia brownie points and make her look good, which I've never understood. <laughs> really? So, I, yeah. This scene was not in the books at all. I don't see why you have to try to redeem Petunia. She sucks. So yeah. I don't get it. I do like Fiona Shaw just doing her repressed, like, buttoned up. English woman thing that's great I think actually yeah in in the books it's more like she just kind of is about to say something and doesn't which is kind of more powerful right the, the movies decided we're gonna make Petunia likable for some reason well they do this don't they they want like you to have like one redeeming line so they're like oh they weren't all bad although Re- Vernon doesn't get one Vernon's a dick to the end right <laughs> I mean so this next deleted scene touches on that because in the books the one person who actually does have a redeeming moment is Dudley yeah. and this deleted scene is the Dudley handshake scene they do it a little differently in this deleted scene than they do in the book But the sentiment is still there. Basically, Vernon and Dudley are packing up the car. Dudley says, why isn't he coming with us? Vernon says, because he doesn't want to. And then Harry's like, yeah, I don't want to. I'm just a waste of space, right, Vernon? And then Dudley walks up to him, shakes his hand, and then says, I don't think you're a waste of space. Uh, Which I think is really sweet. And then Dudley walks away wearing this gradient blue to green jacket that looks like a built-in background of Microsoft PowerPoint from 2004. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also, they've put him in a super suit, right? Because at this point, Dudley's supposed to be hench, no? Oh. He's supposed to have gotten into like wrestling or weightlifting or something. Ah. I think they've given him a little bit of uh, a little bit of padding there oh. to give him like that kind of built up look. Interesting. I didn't even notice that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Either that or the actor got buff. Yeah, maybe he's just shaped like that. <laughs> I, I think this is great. Yeah. Character growth. Yes. Arcs, all that. And then the, it ends with this really cute thing of a, of a close up on Daniel Radcliffe and he goes, see you, big D, really quietly. And I. <laughs> Teared up. I liked it. Uh, (laughs) I thought they should have kept this in. It was also cool because it's a deleted scene. You can see some of the effects. You see that they filmed this on a real street, but then they put up a giant green screen wall to cut off half of the street, which I thought was really interesting to see how the movie was filmed. Yeah. And also, I so I think that Daniel Radcliffe is a brilliant comedic actor. Yes. And I like his little line when... Vernon says like, oh, well, he doesn't want to come to you. And Radcliffe just goes, absolutely not. Yeah, it's really good. (laughs) I think he's so good at little things like that. It's a shame that Harry isn't a very funny character. I mean, Harry does have his sassy moments. Has his moments, yeah. I don't think Daniel Radcliffe got enough opportunities to be 
sassy, funny Harry. I think he's usually just angry Harry or emotional Harry. I don't think he's he's not yeah, often or like just contemplating quick the Harry. weight of you know the burden that's been put upon him, Harry, which is yeah. you know a face. Anytime he's sassy, <laughs> he's usually being angry, such as it being angry towards Snape or Umbridge or something. You it's don't get true. to see him just making a quick joke, Harry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is mm-hmm. nice for that. The next deleted scene is a really quick one. It is Yaxley entering the empty Granger household which I thought was just interesting. It's not something that's in the books, but I guess they just add this little thing of, oh, I guess it's good that Hermione and her family got out because Yaxley was going to go. So ultimately not necessary. And I think it makes sense that they didn't put it in the movie, but I thought it was interesting to have that they filmed it. Yeah, it's an excellent, another British national treasure, Peter Mullen, terrifying Scotsman for hire. I love seeing him pop up. Is this guy just a classic, he's always a villain actor? He just has this like low level, like aggressive quality to him, which if you just put him in any scene, you're just like, oh God, like don't want to get on the wrong side of that guy. I see, I see. He's great. That reminds me of, in America, Paul Giamatti is always a bad guy. Yeah. He's never anything good ever. And I remember when I saw uh, Straight Outta Compton, the movie about NWA, right off the bat, Paul Giamatti is their record label guy like he's their agent and he starts off as good and immediately i'm like there's no way this guy is going to be good there is no way this will be a straight up well-functioning agent that is nice to this rap group he's got to screw them over and then of course he did like why else would they cast paul giamatti (laughs) i would love to hear if peter mullen has ever played like a hundred percent like sympathetic character i really doubt it he's usually added to give a kind of like menacing you know uh (laughs) kind of which is also discrimination because scottish actors get that a lot i think that's oh, kind of interesting. a stereotype that they're aggressive. Oh, huh. Yeah. Kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. Except David Tennant. Except <laughs> he gets away with it. The one that got out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next scene is an extended scene. I think this kind of makes its way into the movie. It's Arthur being a good dude in the elevator. Arthur and some woman walk in where Harry and Ron, disguised as Reg and Rumcorn, are already in there. And it's after Ron has tried to deal with Yaxley's reigning room. Mm. The woman says, oh, let me guess, Yaxley's room is still reigning. And Ron as Reg says, yeah. And then Arthur (laughs) says, tell him to try an umbrella, which I think is great. (laughs) It is good. Another, like, couple of great cameos. I'm not sure if I know these actors' names, but I definitely recognize them. Mm-hmm. But one great thing is that when, um, is it Runcorn does his little, wait, wait, stop, Arthur, I need to talk to you. You can tell by the way that his mouth moves that this actor is Scottish. Oh. And then you hear Daniel Radcliffe's voice come out. He says something which is like, you can just see his accent, which is like a beautiful thing. That's so good. And I feel like Radcliffe, to kind of make up for it, does like a 10% Glaswegian kind of affect on his voice. <laughs> which uh, I appreciate. I don't know. That was what I enjoyed about this scene. That's really interesting. Yeah, because the rest of the scene is Harry as Rumcorn telling Arthur, you know you're being traced. And then Arthur says, is that a threat? And Harry says, it's a fact. And then the elevator moves away. So yeah, I'd have to go back and and rewatch that to see if I can tell him trying to be Scottish. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. So the next scene is Harry actually explaining to Hermione Dumbledore's guesses for the Horcruxes, which I don't think is ever fully done in the movie. I think this is pretty important to say, like, Dumbledore thinks that these are the Horcruxes. Here's what we're looking for, which I don't think they ever really touch upon in the seventh film. Yeah, it's it's so crucial. I mean, I because I was like a book, book, book fan and peripherally would watch some of the movies. 
it wasn't such an issue for me, like trying to understand what's going on. And then as I got older, I realized that a lot of Harry Potter fans are fans of the movies and may not even have read the books, to which I think, how do you understand right. anything that's going on? It's because, gotta be so confusing. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it at all. And then the scene continues where Ron warns about the use of Voldemort's name, saying that it's taboo. And then Harry shows her on the locket for the first time. When he does, it dramatically zooms in on the locket and plays dramatic music, which I thought was really funny. (laughs) And then they talk a little bit about the evil effect that it has. And then Hermione says, I hate it. It's like he's here with us. And then Harry says, and that's why we're going to kill it. I think this scene is so good. It has information. It has emotion. It has Harry saying an ominous line. What else (laughs) do you need? Why would you take this out of the movie? Also, I just love Ron's visible deterioration. I really Uh enjoy it. I don't know why. He just looks like he's about to die from TB. It's great. Yeah. I mean, he looks really haggard. I think it's good. (laughs) So the next scene is super weird and oh my I God. do not disagree with it being cut. I strongly disagree, but go oh, ahead. Okay. It's Ron <laughs> and Harry chasing after a rabbit, trying to hunt it for food, I would assume. They're just shooting vague nonverbal spells at it, which just make gunshot-esque noises. And then after the rabbit gets away, they start kind of jokingly fighting each other because one of Ron's shots gets close to Harry. Mm-hmm. And then Harry shoots a lazy, sassy, under his arm one at a tree near Ron. And then they're kind of playing tag of sorts with it. The dangerous tag. Yeah, dangerous tag. They're running away. They're laughing the whole time. And then Ron actually hits Harry with one of these vague spells. And Harry doesn't fall over or show any pain, but the mood of the scene immediately changes and he looks really angry at Ron, which I don't understand Harry here because what did you think was going to happen? Eventually one of your shots was going to hit, guys. (laughs) This is like the fanfic author in me is just like, yes, 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 yes. (laughs) If this was a fanfic, what would have happened? So the sequence is, oh, we're hunting a rabbit, but now we're kind of being playful, but now it's getting all tense. What would have followed if this were a fanfic was Ron would have pushed Harry up against a tree and they would have been all over each other, which for this reason, I think this scene is just like cinema, poetic, cinema, you know, homoerotic, uh, like metaphoric. I love it. I'm so annoyed that this wasn't in because I just think it's great. I love it. Uh, There's a kind of a theme in my comics, which is like, what if Harry Potter, but everything was gay. And uh, I feel like this scene, yeah, would have absolutely have a place. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it did feel very fanfic-y. They just cut at the wrong moment. Although they could have been kissing. Maybe they just cut away. Mm, Who's to say? (laughs) So then the final deleted scene from this movie is... Ron skipping stones while the radio is playing. And then Hermione walks up and Ron teaches Hermione how to skip stones. And I actually thought this scene was really cute. I think it's a good Ron and Hermione moment. I don't think we get enough of those. You get to see Rupert Grint actually be pretty good at skipping stones. And Hermione be bafflingly bad, as in can't even mimic basic motor functions bad. I think that they told Emma Watson to look bad because no one would think to throw it that way, but it was pretty funny. Well, so my charitable reading of this is that Hermione absolutely knows how to skip a stone. Ah, She's a genius, ah, but she wants to trigger the classic romance trope, which is, you don't know how to do it? Let me put my arm around you and like show you. So this is my reading of this. Mm-hmm. That's because good. like Hermione, you know, she's a problem solver. She's going to be able to figure it out. Right. She can skip a stone. She knows the arithmancy of how to throw it at the correct angle. Exactly. She knows vectors. Mm-hmm. She knows, you know, whatever the magical version of physics is. 
she would figure it out. She is playing four-dimensional chess to get Ron yeah, to and snuggle she, up. Ron gets to, you know, put his arm around her and, yeah, clever girl. Oh, it's really good. But then at the very end of the scene, it cuts to Harry being alone, looking in the little mirror shard. And then when it shows Aberforth's eyes, the dramatic bass kicks in again and it goes, boom. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and that's the last scene from this movie. So now we get into the final movie, the final set of deleted scenes from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. So the first is just an extended planning scene for when they're going to break into Gringotts. And one thing that I didn't enjoy was the squad asking Harry, how are you going to know what's the Horcrux? And he just says, I'll know. I can't explain it, but I'll know. I'm like the chosen one, you guys. Ugh, um. I hate how the movies just cop out that Harry can just kind of feel the Horcruxes. <laughs> that yeah. sucks to me a lot. But in the book, he's just kind of like, I don't know, but we don't have any other ideas, right? Like, I think he has suspicions about the Hufflepuff Cup because they oh, did does, that pensive yeah, trip. Yeah, yeah. So I think they were looking for it specifically, or at least they went into it saying it's probably a Ravenclaw thing or a Hufflepuff cup. Yes. Yeah, no, no, you're right. He's seen the whole memory of the cup and everything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. With the homie Hepzibah Smith. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then the scene goes on. You have Fleur coming in with some black turtlenecky looking thing. I guess this is supposed to be part of the Bellatrix uh, costume that Hermione yeah. wears. And then Bill gives his big warning about not living up to a bargain from Griphook saying that, you know, you have to be really careful about promising him anything if you made a deal, which I don't think made its way into the movie. Having this is really good. I always loved that scene between Bill and Harry, and I was sad it didn't make it into the movie in a full effect. Yeah. So I like this. And any kind of Bill Weasley content is great. Mm -hmm. I love that character. I'm intrigued by him. Definitely like a top 10 peripheral Harry Potter character. Fleur, I noticed that she didn't go balls out French accent. Oh, not at all. I don't mind, but also would have been quite funny if she did that because in the book, it is nuts. Yes. Like her French accent <laughs> is her defining feature. By the way that JK writes it with all of the apostrophes and stuff, it is very like, Harry, I have given you the cloak for Hermione to wear. It takes her like 10 minutes to say a sentence. It exists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the actress is clearly like, uh, I have some self-respect. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Take this cloak from me. Put it on your... Hermione, <laughs> put the cloak on. Hermione, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you look like Bellatrix Lestrange. No, yeah. Fair play to the actress for, for putting her foot down on that, presumably. Yeah. I did just watch Disney's Ratatouille last night, so French accents are on the brain. <laughs> the thing is, like, I go through this in my comic all the time. There is kind of nothing funnier than a French person speaking English or an English person speaking French. They are both oh, just very funny things. I loved it when I, I worked in France for six months for a temporary engineering thing. It was for a French company, so the international headquarters was in Paris. So they had people from all over the world working there. Because of that, the official language of the office was English, but most of the people were French. Mm -hmm. So the most common thing was people speaking English and French accents, yeah. and I loved it. So I it's, learned it's no great. French in my time there, but I did get pretty adept at making fun of my coworkers. <laughs> I, but I will say it, it goes both ways. English people speaking French is so funny. It, there's just nothing funnier than it. It's, it's, it's a gift to everyone that both <laughs> those like, countries are <laughs> so 
so accent opposed. It's a two-way street that we can laugh at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next scene is Luna talking to Harry outside of Dobby's grave. And she says this really sweet quote where she says, the sky has lost a star. My father used to say that when a child died. Funny how Mr. Dobby knew exactly where to find us, kind of alluding to the mirror thing that you learn later. I think this is a really sweet little moment. I love Luna a lot, and I love when she gets to shine. Yeah. I get that this wasn't important, but I thought it was sweet. I like that actress a lot. I think she wasn't at all what I was picturing in the books, but actually I think she did a great job. Yes. Ivana Lynch killed it. She really, really did. Yeah. And then the scene continues with Harry notices that Luna's got her bags packed, and he goes, oh, you're going back to Hogwarts? It's not the same place that you left it. And she says, neither am I, which is so good. Yeah, great line. Also, how does he know that Hogwarts has changed? He's not been there, has he? Yeah, you're right. I mean, maybe it's just... Maybe it's just intuition, but yeah, I guess he wouldn't know it. Maybe that's why they cut it. <laughs> yeah, he's the chosen one. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> the scene continues. You have Ron coming up first in his disguise, asking Harry what he thinks about it. They just have a little playful moment together. Then they talk a little bit about the mirror shard and how Harry thinks it's Dumbledore, which is never really expanded upon in the movie. So I thought this was really nice. Yeah. And then Hermione walks up as Bellatrix and that ends the scene. I liked this whole scene. I liked all the little different parts of it. I'm sad that they cut it. You know what? Also, something about the Harry Potter movies, because they were all shot on sets and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's nice to have a change where they're outside. Yeah, it is really cool. Scenic kind of, you know, background. It's great. I, I really enjoyed it for sure. So the next scene is just an extended Aberforth being salty about Dumbledore and the Order of the Phoenix and their hopes towards defeating Voldemort. I think it's fine that they cut it, though it does have the line, which I think was a really good one in the books where Aberforth says, it was the people my brother cared about the most that tended to get hurt. Mm, Yeah, important. I think that's a really important line, but I think the sentiment of the scene still comes across in what was in the movie. It's just a little angrier and it's done in front of Ariana's photo, whereas this, they're all sitting down and eating dinner together. Right. So I I get why they cut it, but I do think that line is really good. It is. It's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So the next scene is Harry sneaking into the swarm of students goose-stepping before they have the Snape talk in the Great Hall. And Harry sneaks in next to Ginny and grabs her hand. I think this is pretty cute. I think if you're already going to do this scene completely differently like they did, why not have this little extra moment? I guess they cut it so that there's more of a surprise reveal that Harry is in the crowd the whole time. Yeah. But I did think this was a nice cute moment between Harry and Ginny. But honestly, like the goose stepping thing, I agree. Like the Nazi, like Mm -hmm. Lenny Riefenstahl's legacy. I think we need a new imagery for evil. We can't just have regimented people walking around like goose stepping in formation. We need a new thing. There needs to be a new thing. We can't just have this every single time as shorthand for this is bad, guys. Yeah, I agree. And it's something that I made fun of in the movie episodes is at what point are these kids all agreeing that they are going to walk like this? Because they're supposed to be somewhat rebellious. I think you can get the same point across if you just have them walking dejected with their heads down in a crowd. They don't necessarily have to be walking in unison in a big, you know, organized rectangle. Yeah, but, like, it's amazing. <laughs> like, you, I mean, this was 10 years ago, so all right. But even, like, last year, the Game of Thrones went for it as well. The Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, I've not seen any of it, <laughs> You so. know, the Game of Thrones? Uh, yeah, they had a lot of goose-stepping when they wanted to get across the idea that things were bad. Yeah, filmmakers, don't be lazy. Not everything has to be Nazis. Innovate, guys. You're artists. Think <laughs> of something new. 
So the next scene is Seamus setting up the explosives under the walkway. Ooh. Neville asks if he knows what he's doing. Seamus just gives a thumbs up. Neville replies with a thumbs up, but does not look confident. And that's it. <laughs> I can see why they cut it. It's fine. But I did still enjoy this a lot. It's a great callback because isn't like the very first time we see Seamus. I've remembered this shot of him just having exploded something and his face. He's charred and not furious, but mm-hmm. he's, he's singed and singed and shocked, I would say. Uh-huh. Yes, he is. But in this movie... They do play up that Seamus is going to do explosive stuff and they give him the approval to do so. (laughs) So I think having this tiny little scene would be fun. But I don't know. I guess you really had to save those four seconds of movie. (laughs) Well, I guess you've got a lot more context for what they kept in is the only thing. Because I don't really I, I can't really picture what we're what we're gaining from cussing all this. Is there a lot of uh, Daniel Radcliffe staring into the mid-distance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the movies, they have a thing where McGonagall gives Seamus the go-ahead to set up some explosives. Oh, so I yeah. think seeing him set them up would be nice. It's not crucial, but it's cute. Yeah. And why not give it some cuteness? I like it. It's also, it's hijinks, you know, it's a kid's yeah. movie. Like, it makes me think of, you know, like in Hook, when all the kids set up all these, like, you know, or Home Alone. It's a yeah, classic 90s. Yeah, yeah, I know this yeah. isn't the 90s, but it's a classic 90s kids movie trope. Kids setting up explosive and traps for adults is great. I think it's very good. The next scene is one that I think they really should have kept in. It's Tonks and Lupin. So you have Tonks running in to Lupin and Lupin says, you shouldn't have Teddy, darling. And Tonks says, he'll sleep till dawn and snore like his father. It's you (laughs) that needs me tonight, which (laughs) I think is really nice because they almost barely made any mention of Tonks and Lupin except for showing them dying. And they really don't talk about Teddy at all. So I think this would have been really nice to keep in. Yeah, that's so romantic as well. Look at them. They're just kind of like staring at each other. They're all moonlit. It's lovely. I agree. I really think it was sad that they didn't put it in. I mean, maybe they did it so that their death wasn't as heartbreaking and they were trying to save the viewer because it makes it that much sadder. But I I don't know. I think it's really good. Yeah, because um, you don't get too many moments to connect the fact that they're like super in love and that it's like a tragic story, do you? No, and I don't think they even tell you that they had a kid until Lupin is already dead and then when harry talks to him with the resurrection stone he's like your son right yeah i don't think that they really make that clear enough Mm, yeah so the next scene is one that i think made perfect sense not to include you have filch locking up the slytherins (laughs) this is baffling i i have no idea what's going on here (laughs) so go on okay well you explain it to me because this to me Yeah, okay, I have absolutely no idea what's going on. You go ahead. Yeah, the reason that you have no (laughs) idea what's going on is because this is very different from movie to book. In the movie, they have decided rather than send the Slytherins out with all of the underage students like the original book had them do, McGonagall sends the Slytherin kids down to the dungeon and tells Filch to lock them up. Which doesn't make That's any really sense because that doesn't keep them safe. Lock up the children. Don't let the kids run away. I don't. It's so strange. So I guess the scene was deleted because they're just expanding further upon something that wasn't canonical anyway. But this seems to be like a POW type situation, right? Like we need to negotiate with the Death Eaters. Let's take all their kids. No? Uh, I I don't. So that wasn't why. Maybe, but like the, I have to assume the like. impetus behind it is that Pansy calls out Harry and says, "Well, he's right there. Get him." After Voldemort is all, send me Harry Potter and I will spare all of you. And then McGonagall's like, Pansy and the rest of the Slytherins go in the dungeon. And then all the kids cheer. It's silly and ridiculous. (laughs) But in the scene, you have Filch (laughs) locking them up. Pansy saying, let us out, you squid. Then the 
dungeon exploding and then the kids are running away and then you see Draco kind of apparate, grab Goyle and Zabini and then run down a hallway. So I guess they were trying to include this to show how Draco got away, but it's completely unnecessary and ridiculous. So I totally get it. I think this is probably a demonstration. This is something I dealt with in one of the comics of Filch's utter kind of like uselessness in this context. Filch, what does he, he has a set of keys and, uh, <laughs> The premise of having a key is that it, there's only, you know, one key that can open a specific lock, which the whole concept is made redundant once you have, like, kids who with, can undo any lock with right. their wands. Right. I mean, I got into a whole argument with people about this. They were saying, no, 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 but there can be specific charms. So that, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But ultimately what you're saying is there is this figure who is in a position of authority over children but has not even like a fraction of their power i have had and, the uh, same conversation about filch where why is he hired yeah. is it a nice thing that dumbledore did to give this squib a job or is it a mean thing because everything that he does the wizards can do very easily they can clean up spells with their wands they can lock doors with <laughs> yeah. their wands they did they do it to laugh at him like no we don't need a janitor let's hire this idiot <laughs> What is the point of him? Man, like a meditation on like the kind of, you know, existentialist life under capitalism where like, what do I exist for? Like, <laughs> what is my job even like worthwhile? Like, who am I? Why am I? Why am I doing anything? Give us the Filch <laughs> introspective spinoff book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to guess that this is one of the last times you see Filch in the whole series. Yes. It's kind of a nice encapsulation of the uselessness the mm. futility of this man's life no full circle no he no sooner has he turned the key and locked up a bunch of the students that he hates they actually just blow up the whole door and yeah. he's not charged i would say he's not singed and furious but he is not happy <laughs> i'm really upset that i titled these episodes based on whatever we're covering because otherwise i totally would have titled this one singed and furious singed and furious <laughs> So the final deleted scene in this movie is Ron and Hermione running away from Nagini. And I think the scene is fantastic. Ron to Hermione says, Hermione, there's something I want to tell you. And Hermione goes, I don't want you to say anything that you wouldn't say if we weren't about to be killed by a giant snake. It would just ruin it. I love this so much. I love this so much. It's not a scene that was in the book, but just I think the quote and language behind it and the playful joking nature is like the ultimate Ron and Hermione relationship encapsulation. And True. it makes me really sad that this wasn't in because I think it's so good. I don't think the movies have enough of them being playfully banterish with each other, which is I think their relationship aesthetic. It's true. It's the one thing that you can be like, okay, like I see why they're together because otherwise you're like, what do these two people have in common other than Harry Potter? 100%. But the fact that they're bickering, you're kind of like, all right, this is kind of fun to like have this like push-pull relationship. So yeah. Mm -hmm. And also I love it when Hermione gets a funny line. I love it. Yeah, I think it's great. And I don't think she gets enough of them in the movies. Yeah. I agree, past Mike. Look at us finding common ground. But here's something that we're not on common ground for is you need to take a break and I need to take over because it's time for Wingardium Adridosa. Mm -hmm. 
Today's episode of Powerless is brought to you by Shaker and Spoon. Let's say hypothetically that you are in a situation where you are unable to go to bars legally, but you would still like to get some fancy cocktails. How are you going to make that happen? You're going to use Shaker and Spoon. Shaker and Spoon delivers a box directly to your door with the ingredients and the instructions of how to make four servings of three different drinks. All you need to do is supply the liquor. I've done Shaker and Spoon boxes for whiskey, tequila, liquors that I haven't heard of before, like Amaro, I think it was called. It's very fun. It's a nice learning experience. It tastes delicious delicious, and it's even more relevant in these times where you gotta stay inside a little bit. So if you want to try out Shaker and Spoon and save some money on your first box, you can. As a Potterless listener, you'll get $20 off your first box if you go to shakerandspoon.com slash Potterless. So go to shakerandspoon.com slash Potterless. Get $20 off your first box, and you can make some fancy drinks for your friends, and everyone will think you are a very impressive human being today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can right get 10% off get, your first purchase right by going to arenaclub.com slash arenaclub.com wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So if you collect some cards or rip open some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. So, Emily, those are all of the deleted scenes we'll be talking about today, but it is not the end of our discussion. We have a little bit of time here, so I would love to talk to you about your cartoons and your Harry Potter thoughts. Because in My Life is a Background Slytherin, which has now extended to all of the houses and has become books in that, you have a lot of really interesting Harry Potter thoughts. So I went to your Instagram account and scrolled all the way back to the very beginning to see the beginning of the comics. And let me say, they're all very good. (laughs) 
thing. So I've seen a bunch of the comics, but I'd never seen this particular one, the very first one, which basically has your character getting sorted into Slytherin and your character is very excited to be at Hogwarts, but is also very nervous and is saying a lot of things like, oh, sweet Jesus, oh, flipping Jesus. <laughs> and my favorite part is that the sorting hat asks, where do you want to go? <laughs> And you just say Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of bad form, I guess, to laugh at your own jokes. Oh, but I just... no. Oh, come on. I laugh at my own jokes while I'm editing so much. I constantly forget that I've made a joke, hope that I do make that joke. Then I do make the joke and I laugh at myself for making the joke. <laughs> it's, but at the time when I wrote that, I think that specific comic, I came up with three comics at once. Like it was like nearly four years ago. And I was kind of cackling to myself when I was, yeah, <laughs> I found it really funny. But you know, you you know, you have to find something funny in order to make it and post it to other people hoping they'll find it funny. Yeah, so we had talked about your inspiration behind making the comic strip itself. But what led to your inspiration to pick this particular scenario to be the first one to kick it all off? What, what made you want to do a situation about not understanding sort and then getting begrudgingly put into Slytherin by the Sorting Hat. It's funny how it's changed. Also, it just looks so kind of... I, I think I drew that one on paper, so oh, it looks very okay. different. And also, like, my drawing style is evolved. I'm scrolling back to it now and I'm just looking at it. It looks so different. I think at that stage, the Emily character was more of a fangirl who'd kind of okay. been plonked into um, Hogwarts. Sure. And so she's kind of going in and seeing all these, like, seeing Harry Potter and being like, oh my god, it's Harry Potter. And <laughs> like I said before, it came from this thing of probably being put in Slytherin, being very much the kind of skulking, lurking, cowardly, like, little shriveled up Slytherin in the background, as opposed to kind of the glam blaze the beanie type Slytherins who are you know right very entitled and beautiful mm -hmm. because you know you just you've got to have minions if you're like an evil you know kind of, of course uh, antagonist <laughs> and yeah I was <laughs> I'm, I'm more of a minion than, a, than a, a leader I think generally look everyone needs a good sidekick yeah. underlings are in demand by evil people Completely. so Take you're just filling that void for them I love that you said glam in particular because I did notice a theme throughout your comics is that some of the more prolific Slytherins like Draco or Snape or Lucius are very theatric yeah. and dramatic it's about the aesthetic I had a comic about this where they were talking about the Slytherin aesthetic and how it's mm. the most aesthetic like obsessed house <laughs> like the thing about living in a dungeon and stuff like that's just right. purely conceptual why would you do that really unless you were just completely devoted to the aesthetic and like the brand yeah they really do make a lot of decisions to fit their particular brand and ambiance yeah. lots of snake stuff as well snakes mm -hmm. are the logo and sallows are slytherin had a whole snake thing and they can talk to snakes feels like a lot of these slytherin choices are very of the same thematic a element. lot of skulls i mean that's more death eaters i guess but there's a lot of kind of just the dark sort of aesthetic going on yeah mm -hmm. but the way that you draw these supposedly brooding Slytherins is very flamboyant, especially Snape. And I love it. His signature move, the trademark of your character now is that he flounces yeah. about and your Snape, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's just, his, his face is just a giant nose and then he has hair. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's just a nose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that actually, like the Snape character is, I don't know if it's the only bit, but it's the main bit of my comics that's actually inspired by the movies as opposed to the books. I was going to say. Yeah. Like I think the Snape character in my comics really came together when I watched the clip of Alan Rickman saying, now what would three young Gryffindors be doing <laughs> inside? And he just like leaves all these dramatic pauses and it's just this crazy like camp music in the background and the pacing 
I know you've like got your issues with like the Harry Potter movies and pacing, but <laughs> the pacing in the scene is absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I must have seen that film when I when it came out when I was like ten or eleven, and I think I was really very annoyed at how camp they had made it because yeah. I took the book so seriously, you know, like it was. I felt like it was so real, mm-hmm. and that Snape was this like terrifying hideous he's brooding he's suspicious maybe he's evil yeah and just like so malevolent and like you need to be scared shitless of this guy but then like they just kind of put all this kind of uh whimsical bassoon music behind him and he's kind of like raising an arched eyebrow and i was kind of like oh fuck off and yeah like little child me just thought nah i can't i can't engage with this (laughs) that's where my snape comes from is he's really kind of uh leaning into this world and i like to do characters that kind of really lean into the harry potter world for example there's the ravenclaw character wanda's got this dad who pops up again now and again and he's really into the kind of the gimmick and the kind of aesthetic weirdness of the harry potter world and whenever wanda tries to give him kind of like shortcuts or like logical ways around things he's just like no we're gonna do it the magical way because (laughs) that's how we've done it (laughs) and that's how we do it in this household traditions exist for a reason exactly because it seems like i mean there's all these people just following all this kind of quite warped logic just because it's like yeah well it's fun it's you know it's magic it's castles you know well that's how we've always done it so let's stick to it and take the train it's funny i was looking through all of the comics and a lot of the jokes you make and the things that you point out are either jokes that i've made on potterless or things that either i've pointed out or people have pointed out to me because of the show things like quidditch scoring obviously not making sense or people in scotland having to take the train to london (laughs) to go back to scotland yeah yeah. there's all these kind of possibilities in the harry potter world for like expanding your mind and doing incredible things and i think it's forgivable because they are teenagers and so their worlds are very kind of like they do have tunnel vision Mm -hmm. but there's a whole thing of like there are these portraits of like centuries old people who seem to have just been around for ages and would have so much invaluable information about everything. And they never even, they just basically kind of, I don't know, whenever they interact with a portrait, it's always in some kind of non-essential way. Right. And I think like, talk to the portraits, man. Honestly, yeah. (laughs) They're probably quite useful. Definitely. And if you go by how the movies do it, there are so many portraits. You could learn so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't quite got there yet, but once Dumbledore's dead and then he's just kind of uploaded his consciousness into a portrait, I mean, (laughs) at that point, you know, (laughs) does death exist in the magical world? Like, probably not. Who knows? Even after reading the Pottermore description of it portrait dynamics make no sense to me there is something i wanted to ask you about specifically though it's something that comes up in the podcast a decent amount in one of your comics you have your character emily the background slytherin trying to take her wand out of her robes but accidentally takes off her entire robes and she's only wearing underwear underneath (laughs) so you subscribe to the belief that they don't wear clothes under their robes i do but it's that is canon because you know there's that guy in the fourth book who's wearing muggle clothes basically he talks about liking to have wind around his private parts yes exactly implying that he's not even wearing underwear mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i agree they're not wearing clothes under there or maybe they're wearing like a vest and pants and underpants right so there's a couple different ways to interpret it and it depends on what you're reading because obviously there's the one scene where snape is bullied and he's flipped upside down and you can yeah, see yeah. his underwear mm-hmm. and maybe he is just wearing a shirt but no pants yeah. uh, american pants <laughs> not he's wearing yeah, no yeah. british trousers but there's also a scene in the book where I think it's Ron and Harry or some combination of the squad where they're on the train 
to Hogwarts and they change into their robes without leaving. They do it in front of each other. Yeah. Aren't there like various bits where like Harry Potter stuffs his wand into his jeans? Or is that when they're kind of in a non-Hogwarts context? I can't remember. There are elements of that. I think that might be non-Hogwarts clothes, but they do talk about pockets, but I assume that the robes have pockets as well. Yeah. But going back to the changing on the train, a lot of people cite that as a reason why people wear clothes under the robes, but it could just be the classic swimsuit thing you do in middle school where you put your swimsuit on under your clothes or have a towel or something where you change, but no one can see your private bits. Maybe that's what they do. Yeah. So maybe they put their robes on over their clothes and then say, okay, now I will take off my trousers because that is what we do here. We don't wear trousers under our robes. But these are the types of questions that I love to ask and I love that you ask them too in your comic and these are the things I would love to ask J.K. Rowling if I ever got that interview, which I will never get now that I have very publicly said that she sucks because she does. But if I ever did, these are the types of questions I would ask her and I would get promptly kicked out of the interview after a couple of seconds. Do you want the answer? though because I feel like you know every time JK Rowling tries to like rationalize an aspect of the universe or or kind of elaborate it on in some way there's a whole bunch of people including me who are like ah yeah it's, yeah, it's okay. Like, yeah, mm. I think that's why I would want to keep my questions to be about silly things because right, yeah. I don't know that I could ask her questions about how long did she know stuff and was everything planned. I don't think I would get a straight answer out of her if I asked that. For example, if I asked her about Put Out Her vs. Illuminator and whether or not she had the name change in mind or if it was an oh shit moment, I don't think I would get the straight answer out of her if it was an oh shit moment. I think she would say, oh, I knew all along and give this big explanation. And along the same lines, there's the whole Nagini thing, was that actually planned? Was it something that she just tried to tie into the Fantastic B series? I don't think that there is a way to get a straight answer out of JK for those types of questions. But maybe she would give a straight answer for the clothes underneath the robes thing because this is not her trying to protect her creative genius. It's just a clarification question. Do they wear clothes or not? I was listening to your last one. You were talking about uh, the laundry situation. I had a comic where sometimes like I'll do a comic and then people say you made a mistake there and I'll be like, oh yeah, it has happened. And one of them was where I mentioned the house elves getting bored of doing laundry and people were like are they allowed to do that because they can't touch clothes and I was like oh then who does the laundry? Yeah. Because, yeah, we talked about this in my episode with Javi, but we just kind of breezed over it because the laundry is canonical. It's in the book yeah. that Hermione got the clothes, the Slytherin robes out of the laundry. Yeah. But, yeah, the house elves can't do it. Who does the laundry? I I guess it's Filch. Does Filch do the laundry? <laughs> He's just doing it all by hand. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's about, like, 500 students. It's just, like, every, every week. <laughs> I wonder, is laundry just very easy to do with magic where, a teacher or the heads of house could just do it super quickly with some spells? I mean, the kids could do it. I don't know about like posh, I I guess in posh private schools in the UK, they have someone else doing their laundry. But there's probably the case where you could do it, you're responsible for doing your own laundry. Like I'm talking about in real life. Yes. Is there like a laundry room in a boarding school where you have to go take your laundry and do it? In which case it would make sense to teach the kids a laundry spell and just have them do their own pants. Honestly, why isn't that a class at Hogwarts? Just basic spells that you need to do to survive as a wizard. And maybe it's something that Flitwick covers in Charms. Maybe that's one of the chapters. Home economics. That should be the first class that all these kids go to at Hogwarts. Don't throw Harry Potter into potions class where Snape is going to berate him with, "Mm, what does a (laughs) beaver do? But instead, do a Charms class where Flitwick goes, hi, here's how you do Accio. Here's how you clean your clothes. I have some questions about the literacy levels of Hogwarts students because they arrive at their age 11, supposedly 
able to read, but like 11 year olds can't read that well. And then they're never just given any more reading lessons. They're just kind of like left to get on with this. They must have, I mean, I suppose you've got like a spelling spell and a this and a that, but their literacy and basic arithmetic levels can't be very high. It is ridiculous that there are so many different instances in the books where they have to write essays, but <laughs> there is not a single time where they go to an English class, a literature class, yeah, a language yeah, yeah. arts class, a writing class, whatever you want to call it. Because I remember in my fourth grade, in our school at least, they called it language arts, but it's your classic reading and writing comprehension class. Right. Fourth grade was huge. That was a big step up for these skills. That was like you're in the big leagues now. Um, fourth grade in the United States, you are are 10 to 11 years old. Oh, yeah, okay. So yeah, that's the exact age you would be when you're going to Hogwarts. And right. I remember that class was so crucial for me because that's where I learned how to use correct punctuation. That's where I learned proper sentence structure mm -hmm. and different verbs and gerunds and prepositions. But also, do you remember, we'd be like 13, I, I don't know, even up to 15. And if you had like English class and people would be reading out loud and some people would be quite bad at it, you know? Right. People... Not necessarily very good at reading out loud, even by age, you know, 15, 16. Uh, yeah, I'm worried about this. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe no one in that universe can read. <laughs> They're all just <laughs> walking around. I mean, Arthur does struggle to deal with muggle money, which is just counting up numbers. Yeah. So yeah. maybe it is just <laughs> a given that everyone is not good at math or just basic reading and writing. But who cares if you can, you know, shoot frogs from your wand or something. It doesn't really matter. You don't need to count at that point. <laughs> exactly. That is the big takeaway we can learn here. If you are able to do spells, you don't need to be good at math or basic literature yeah. just do a spell and all your problems will be solved well this is the whole other issue right is the issue of kind of supply and demand and uh <laughs> privilege and you know that kind of thing in this universe i have a something i've been sitting on for a while is um the idea of a prefect bathroom being you know oh, that it's this, so this strange that they do that super fancy bathroom which is just for prefects right but in most situations they kind of the idea of luxury commodities being for a specific class is loosely tied to kind of, uh, what do you call it, like a meritocracy. Mm -hmm. We've got limited resources, so the nice stuff goes to the people who've earned it. But when you've got magic, the whole idea of like having to limit the nice stuff to any particular group completely disappears. So why doesn't everybody have a nice bathroom in Hogwarts is what I'm saying. Everyone could have a swimming pool bathroom. Also, it just seems like a strange perk to be given for being a prefect. My understanding is that the prefects are usually the smartest kids and sometimes the most upright of citizens. But wouldn't it make more sense to give them a separate section of the library or something? I don't understand why, oh, you're a good student, you should smell good. No, 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 the swimming pool bathroom, I have to say, like, that is an amazing, amazing privilege. I would become a prefect for the swimming pool bathroom. That's uh, that's unbelievable. Oh, I think it's a great reward and I would love to have it. I just don't think that the correlation makes sense. Right. I just don't understand why the valedictorians get the nice bathroom. Hey, look at you. You are very smart and you're working very hard. Have fun in the bathroom with all of these different soaps. Well, have you ever like read, um, you know, Roald Dahl, he wrote a couple of autobiographies and one of them is uh, about his childhood spent in private schools in the 1920s in the UK oh. uh, where they had this um, prefect system. Yeah, the prefects. And then they had these little minion type boys just had to do whatever the prefects told them to do. Oh. And so he has these crazy stories, which may have been like slightly, you know, kind of like gussied up by Roald Dahl right. about him having to go because they had like outdoor latrines. And so in like the middle of January, the prefect would make like little Roald Dahl go out and warm up the toilet seat for him. So he'd oh just go have gosh. to sit on it for like 
20 minutes and he would bring a book with him and sit on it ah. and also all this horror like they treated them like absolute shit so it's kind of this thing of um in the uk kind of hierarchical class system it's not just enough for people to be given rank they also have to be given the privilege of lording it over everyone and, <laughs> and having yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> yeah i already thought that greek life in american universities was bad oh, i'm sure but it's now all this based is on that yeah fancy hazing and there's mm-hmm. classism involved this is really gross it's it's a great great book it's called boy it's really really good okay i will look into it now that i am done reading the harry potter books i can read other books i didn't read <laughs> anything else the during the three-year span when i was doing the book portion on the podcast oh, but uh, now I'm free and I can read other things. So I will add this to my ever growing list of books. All this, all of this is leading up to, I think, basically my Ravenclaw character, who's the kind of ruthless, logical one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I think she's going to end up as an anarcho socialist because she's going to just see that the whole system of privilege and hierarchy is ultimately illogical in the context. Oh. And, uh, and yeah, it's a, it's a great, uh, I'm looking forward to it, her little art. Oh, I'm really excited too. I'm really <laughs> excited to see how all of your characters develop and change over the course of your comic. Well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on, talking about deleted scenes, talking about your comics, talking about your thoughts on Harry Potter fandom and stuff. It's so fun. Uh, yeah, this was great. This was truly delightful. I really if loved you it. want to find you on the internet and the other things you're doing, where can they do so? So I'm at Emily's Cartoons everywhere on instagram twitter and stuff i've written a book called bloodlust and bonnets which is not uh about harry potter but features a castle in scotland so (laughs) we're still thematically kind of on brand and i also have my patreon which is also at emily's cartoons where if you really like my comics you can get an extra one per week and find out all my thoughts about uh ferret transfiguration and that kind of thing it's for one dollar a month i mean that's a pretty good deal and in these times we're trying to find as much content as we can to fight off boredom and doing a deep dive into an underserved part of harry potter discussion i think is great Mm -hmm. so emily thank you so much for joining listeners thank you for listening and until next time as they say in the wizarding world of harry potter right before they transform into a ferret Wizard Wizard on! on. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. Bye. So in the intro, I talked about a podcast that's coming out soon from Multitude. There's another new Multitude show out right now called Next Stop. It's a wonderful audio sitcom. Many of the Multitude team members have worked on it. I play some cameo roles. It's a fun time. If you want to learn more about the show, you can go to nextstopshow.com. Potterless is created by Mike Schubert. It is hosted by Mike Schubert. It is edited by Mike Schubert. It is produced by Mike Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Klaus Lopu, Marchismo, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfilio, Rosemary Dajmer, Elisa C. Keen, Romina Rivadonera, Audra Eleanor Curlin, Nikita Power, Ali Madsen, Amelia Kraus, Sarah Nink, Ben Silver, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Orchid Grower, Vivian the Owl, Haley Hastings, Moster, Alex Consilver, John Cotker, Noel Beausoleil, Liz Bigelow, Brendan Pickens, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Mark, Lou Friede, Jay Svensson, Ivor Peterson, Summer Rathel, Andrea Kroc, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, Addie, Nikki Harris, Kine, Amanda Alfred, Alicia McLaren, Kafir Shaltiel, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morrison, Eileen Gazesh, Keegan Curran, Mr. Folk, Maya, Flor, Sake, Siri, Scars, Fjord, Georgia Davis, Skyla Lily, Adele Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskovchova, Elizabeth Christofferson, Michael David Yordi, Tiffany Cottrell, Kelly Otilio, Carrie Crumpler, Connie Binkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Samantha Lentz, Aurora Fruhoff, Marco Zapeta, Courtney Marie Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, Julie Walton, The Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Brianna Jordan, McKenna Tweedy, Heather Langeal, Brad Harding, Thomas Chavara, Brianna Cusimano, Kevin Stewart, Laurie McDonald, Chrissy Tew, Jarl Sviven, Haley Logan, Ashley Enstrom, Peter McGrath, Sophie Duda, Jen and Rose Daub, Nicole Linzer, Callahan and Darius, Kylo the Husky, Leah Reed, Melissa Rabb, Bella Barlack, Melanie. 
Melanie Demi, Bill Gill, Victoria Colcaperry, Elizabeth Yu, Britt McLean, Becca Spry, Reese Diggin, Adam Graham, Joseph Torp, Lily's Mom, T Run Money, Madison Kyle, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, GK Have It Your Way, Sabrina Balsiger, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Gadabot, Melanie Dugreif, David Douglas, Maria Matt Barger, Okamahime, Yimki Bony Pony, Jacob Rossatano, Kelsey Gillespie, Taco Blowfish, Rike Mangor Jensen, Taylor Payne, Rochelle Mobs, Megan Moon, Alicia Chapman, Riley Kittis, Colleen Waters, Stin Devoctor, Laurel Happy, Rossanne Batamana, Erica Butler, Miranda Hurley, Landon Schwausch, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexander Harrison, Richard Johnson, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Andrew Kaufman, K.A. Rob, Anna Borgeli, Steve Trelor, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Web design by Kelly Schubert, and the music is by Bettina Kambamanis. If you want to find us on social media, you can at Facebook.com slash Potterless, Twitter.com slash Potterless Pod, Instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast, and Reddit.com slash r slash Potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com for bonus content. You can go to Patreon.com slash Potterless, and for merch, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com slash merch. If you want to tell someone about the show, whether it's in person from a very far, safe distance away, or through a text message, or through a review online, that would really help a ton. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Wizard on!